Welcome to the Making Space Podcast. I'm Jen Pillipow, and this show is dedicated to bringing awareness to our habits and their root causes, because I believe that with awareness comes choice, and with choice comes change. And as a hypnotherapist, I know how much our subconscious minds influence us, but as a human on my own healing journey, I also know it's not always just about mindset. I understand how important integration and embodiment is and how those terms can feel confusing and hard to implement. These are the themes that I like to unpack in this show. This is season three, and I'm joined with my dear friend and colleague, Jennifer Kelly. Jennifer is a professional development trainer and positive psychology coach, and together we're exploring the effects of people-pleasing from our own perspectives, experiences, and circumstances. We hope our conversation sparks some insight in you. Thank you so much for joining us today. This podcast episode is brought to you by the Inner Child Reparenting Workshop, now available on my website. If you have trouble with boundaries and saying no, if you have a harsh inner critic and unreasonably high expectations of yourself, if you're highly anxious and you worry constantly about what other people are going to think about you, and if you continually ignore and distract your intense emotions and your needs, then these are all signs that your inner child could use some reparenting and you are the best person to do this. This workshop will help you connect in, actively reparent, and work towards honoring and accepting this part of you. And by connecting into your emotions, you're embodying while releasing old belief systems, making space for fresh new perspectives, choices, and change. This workshop is available now, and you can get the link in the show notes or visit my website at jenpillipow.com. Also, if you are interested in a people-pleasing workshop delivered by Jennifer and I, we would love to know. So head over to the show notes, submit your interest, and let us know that we should get on creating that. And finally, if you're liking this show, please hit subscribe because this does help raise visibility so that other people can find it too. And that would mean so much to us. Let's go to the show. So a quote that I was reading that relates back to us talking about how it's hard not to be liked, right? Because a lot of times the people pleasing comes from um, this, this need to be liked or this need to not have confrontation of any kind and just for it to be like smooth. And so I just wanted to read you this quote. It's from Rebecca Campbell. The world is filled with people who, no matter what you do, will point blank, not like you but it is also filled with those who will love you fiercely. They are your people. You are not for everyone and that's okay. Talk to the people who can hear you. Don't waste your precious time and gifts trying to convince them of your value. They won't ever want what you're selling. Don't convince them to walk alongside you. You'll be wasting both your time and theirs and will likely inflict unnecessary wounds, which will take precious time to heal. You are not for them and they are not for you. Politely wave them on and continue along your way. Sharing your path with someone is a sacred gift. Don't cheapen it by rolling yours in the wrong direction. Keep facing your true north. Wow. That's amazing. I thought she summed it up really nicely. (laughs) She did. And, you know, my reaction to that was it's so true. But there was also this inner voice saying that it's really hard to do that. (laughs) Yeah, it is. It is really hard to just accept that, oh, I'm not for them. And that's okay. Yeah. Yeah. 
And I wonder like where that scariness came from. Like, I think some of it is human nature. Nobody wants to be, feel like they're disliked or that they're not accepted. I think it's some of it's human nature, but I think for others, it runs deeper. Mm -hmm. And for me, that runs deep. Like, I feel like I would feel really inadequate or not worthy yeah. if, if, if someone just didn't take to me or not like me. And it's not realistic at all. <laughs> I know. I feel that same way too. It's like when somebody doesn't like me, I feel like something is wrong with me. Not that that's just a normal, natural human thing to have happen. Like we don't all like each other. <laughs> exactly. Exactly. So it's like, what, where did again, I start learning those messages. I mean, I remember being really young, like, I guess not really young, I guess maybe 10 or like preteen. And I have these distinct memories of having friends over for my birthday. So like we'd have a little birthday party. And I remember always thinking that they secretly didn't like me. Oh, interesting. And I used to be really tormented by it. Like I even have this memory of me like leaving my the family room, like where the party was being held and going upstairs to the kitchen. And I would come back and I would watch them for a moment at the door. And I would be thinking they're, they're probably talking about me. They probably don't want me to come back. They probably don't like me. And I would get really, really down over it. And I look back at that and I'm like, that started really early. And um, why? (laughs) Oh yeah. There's so many things that come to mind. I mean, we think about like when we're being raised and what's modeled to us is that you must be nice and that you must take care of other people's feelings and emotions. And if you're seeing them not reacting to you in a positive way, then it's easy to take that on as there's just something wrong. And it does start really young. Like I'm thinking about this memory that I have of, I don't know if you ever had this, but the girl in school that claimed to be your best friend, but was really actually mean to you. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. I don't know what that was, but I had this, this girl and um, well, my mom was friends with her mom and there was two kids. There was three kids in in our family, three kids in their family, all the same age. And so naturally we all had to be friends, right? (laughs) Because we're all the same age. That's that's the only requirement (laughs) at that point. And so I don't think she ever liked me. And, um, she would, she would give me like necklaces with like, that would be a heart and you'd break it in two and one person would wear one and the other person would wear the other and it would say best friends. And, and so I was getting these mixed messages where she would give me these gifts, call me her best friend, but then she would, um, be really mean to me. Like she would always turn other friends against me. She would have my, have the other friends, like, don't talk to her. You know, they would all completely alienate me. And I remember in, in grade three, this happened for a period of weeks where I was just alone at every recess and every lunch because she told everybody not to talk to me. And, and so what's really interesting is, you know, I could look at this now as an adult and say, this person is not a person to be friends with. And, and that person doesn't like me and that's okay. And let's both go our own merry ways. But at the time I just kept thinking like, what did I do wrong? She's, exactly. and, and I was so confused 
confused because she was telling me something that didn't match her action. And it just left me so confused. Exactly. And, and I can relate to that as well. Like what, what strikes me is like, why do we automatically blame ourselves and assume it's us? Yeah. Yeah. And, and I wonder like, does everyone experience this? Like, is it part of, I guess, learning social interactions or growing up? But like, I don't think so. I think like, where did that, and it's so natural. That's what Mm -hmm. really stands out to me. It's so natural for us to Mm -hmm. think that way. Like we Mm -hmm. automatically assume the blame. I'm thinking about how you said, um, you know, it's, it's, it's human nature. It's primal to want to connect. We want to be connected to the people around us because, you know, if we go way, 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 way back, that's how we were kept safe. That's how we survived is by being in groups. And, and so I was, I was writing something on Instagram this week. And I said that people pleasing is the lower expression of connection because we want so much to connect, but when we're people pleasing and just mirroring the other person to be liked to get that connection it's not an authentic connection Mm. and so we're always like the more that we do that the more we crave real connection because we're not really getting it those other people are not really seeing us for ourselves like if I think about the polarity between when I first met um, my in-laws and to where we are now they met a version of me that was deep in people pleasing and would always set myself aside, my needs aside, my emotions aside to make them comfortable. And how now I am reversing that and how I will not sacrifice my needs to make them comfortable. Right. And, and how jarring that has been for them to watch and how I, I feel like they're actually doing a really good job with trying to figure out and trying to like accept this new person that has all these rules (laughs) I know and I think we talked about that how like it's not fair almost like yeah yeah like I think I was saying like it felt very um like not moral or not not right because all this it's and it's not like it was a, a a bait and switch or anything drastic like that. But I think just as I started to learn more about myself and step into myself, I started showing up differently. And I, and I feel like it's a good reminder that to let other people to have patience for them and allow time for them to adjust and not to expect them to get on board right away. Yeah. Yeah. That's an excellent point. Well, I, I, one of our last episodes, we ended up talking just at the end about boundaries. And that's, you know, when we're, when we're making boundaries with people that we've had relationships with for a long time, and those boundaries are new to them, it's, it's hard to make those boundaries for one, but I, I think we have to also acknowledge how hard it is for the other people to adjust to that new way of you being. Yeah. And I feel like kind of like you, like it feels to them like a, a bait and switch or something. Yeah. Yeah. (laughs) You know, and it's like, wait, I thought, you know, you were this way and like, and and then for me, I end up compromising the relationship or even losing the relationship because 
people are just so shocked. Like they almost think, well, you're not the person I thought you were. And, and I'm thinking, no, I wasn't. Yeah. I, I wasn't the person that I thought. That yeah. I, yeah. And so I, I feel like sometimes this may be where some relationships do end. Mm. and, and maybe that's okay, but what do you do in a situation where it's family and you don't want the relationship to end? You want it to continue it, but you want it to continue it in a different way. Yeah. And that's, that's interesting. And I know we, we touched on that a little bit in our last episode. Yeah. It's, it's really tough because it's almost like an, an emotional obligation which in a way goes against trying to be authentically connected because we kind of have to be connected. And I wonder if, again, that's why we then end up avoiding. Yeah. Yeah. And that, that was my MO. That was my mode of operation. It's like, well, um, I could either make a new boundary here with this person, or I could just exit. (laughs) Yeah. And, and I noticed too, it's like, I like to pride myself on being, someone you know who's fair and thinks through what people might be going through and tries to show empathy but yet I feel like I handpick the people who I'm going to do that with like when it comes to someone I'm obligated to be connected to like a family member but yet we don't feel that authentic connection like you I just want to bolt I don't want Mm -hmm. to then devote that time to kind of gaining empathy or understanding them Mm -hmm. yeah it's it's a really fine line because in one sense, we shouldn't need to feel like we have to do that, right? Because that goes against everything that we've been talking about in this podcast, being authentic, choosing the connection because it's relevant, it's real. But with certain people, we have to. Yeah, you have to have the boundaries in order to main, to have to keep them in our lives. Mm-hmm. And then I, I think it's a lot of Um, managing the discomfort around that. So you're managing the discomfort of making boundaries and then you're managing the discomfort of how it's being received and people are being uncomfortable with how it's being received. Yeah, I know. And then I don't like conflict either. This is the other, like it, it can create conflict and strife. I mean, I do experience this with a particular family member and you, you know who I'm talking about, but we, um, and yeah, I feel like I know I could be doing better. Where, what, what, what makes you say that? Cause I just, I just kind of feel, I don't extend the same work that I normally would for, for, for others, like in terms of trying to be compassionate or trying to understand where they're coming from, I don't really do that with this person. So then I'm like, well, which part is authentic? <laughs> like, do you know what I mean? It just brings up for me, like, am I really someone who's compassionate and empath- or am I just doing that, to, you know, to people please and get them to like me? Maybe I am someone who's not as patient as I think I am maybe we're not meant to have the same kind of relationship with everybody. That's true. And because you've, you've, you've known this person for so long, maybe there's, it's almost like looking at the relationship from where it is today and deciding what works for you. What kind of a relationship do you want with this person that would work for you within your boundaries, within your emotional boundaries, your mental boundaries, your physical boundaries. Right. 
And, and so if you made all those boundaries around this person, what would be left? What would it take to keep that person in your life? Which goes back to maybe some people are just not meant to be there. And even though they're there in an emotionally or family or socially obligated way, do we have the right still to set boundaries around that? I think we do. I would say yes. For sure. And I I feel like um, I've had to also reconsider my expectations around relationships, because I would think that, especially when it comes to family, that, oh, it's family, we just let that slide, we don't worry about it. But now I feel like it's even more important to have boundaries around family, because if I do want to keep family, certain family in my life, which I do, I need to be doing it in a way that doesn't sacrifice my nervous system or my mental health or (laughs) needs to be in a way that I can manage it. Exactly. And then it's up to them how they respond to it, which right now is very, um, I would Mm. say that they're a little bit cold with me. Yeah. Yeah. I'm waiting to see if they come around and they may not, but it's more important to me that I um, am addressing my own needs and taking care of myself in those situations. Yeah. Yeah. That's really wise. Yeah. It, for me, it also comes back to permission, like just giving ourselves permission. Yeah, yeah. To maybe we're just not engaged with this person for, you know, because of that reason, chemistry or values, or there's just not alignment. And, and again, accepting that and giving ourselves permission. Yeah. And maybe, you know, I wonder, because sometimes I wonder, maybe that's why, like, sometimes I feel resentment, I guess, but really that's about me. I'm the one pushing, right? I'm the one thinking, well, I should be doing better here. Maybe I should try this. Like, really, that's me who's creating that tension, it's interesting that you said resentment because that's something that I felt really strongly with certain family members that I've had to really work through. And and what I sort of found underneath it is that there was a lot of resentment for having to have to make boundaries because it is hard and, and having to state my needs because that feels really hard. And I feel like, oh, they're making me do it, which isn't true, of course, but that kind of thinking creates a lot of resentment. Exactly. And and then you know what else I found underneath all that was um, that I was having a really hard time connecting because of the resentment. And then I wasn't able to feel any empathy at all. And I also realized that because they were so triggering, what they were triggering was all the pieces of me, all the parts of me that I don't like, that I don't accept in myself. And so when I look at them and I see those parts, it's, it builds a lot of resentment. Cause I'm like, I don't want to see that. I I don't want to see it in me. And now I have to see it in you. And now I have to deal with it because it's in my face and, and like having a lot of resentment for all the triggering. Oh my gosh. You're, you're so right. That, that really resonates with me. Like actually it reminds me of something that's been on my mind again to associated with this, the individual I've been referencing, um, someone else in the family told me, you know, I think this person finds you really intimidating. And I was like, what? 
like, you know, I don't, I don't associate that with me. And then like, I didn't want to think that. And I was resentful that that was the perception of me. And, you know, I've been really thinking it through, trying to be objective. And I'm like, you know, there is a side of me, I think that is that, and I just don't want to see it. I think for me, it brought up, just as you said, like, they bring out sides, like maybe sides sometimes of ourselves that we don't want to see or, you know, um, or we're uncomfortable with. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. You know, really, it, it strikes me too, like, I was going to use the word blame, <laughs> but like who about responsibility, you know, like who's yeah. responsible for our emotional state. Like if someone, if a situation makes us feel intimidated or uncomfortable, like, yeah, there's that instinct to blame it on the other party. Yeah. You know, but who's really responsible for, I guess, our emotional perception or state, you know, I I would think it would be us as individuals. Um, Mm -hmm. And it's hard to pull it apart. And I think that's why sometimes myself and and probably others will pin that on the other person like well you you made me uncomfortable or yeah yeah it's so much easier to point a finger and blame like you made me feel this way but you're right like if we take an empowered approach and we look within and we say what what do I have to learn here what 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 am I in control of what what can I do differently yeah so I mean if somebody is saying that you're intimidating does that mean that something for you to change or does that mean it's something that they need to look at? Yeah, it's, it's a really interesting question. You know, this, something that came up for me this week was the whole theme of a, avoidance of conflict because, and I, I people please to avoid conflict. Yeah. yeah. Um, but you know, and I think I mentioned this last episode, you can do this in situations where you can create more challenges for yourself um, or bridge ethics. Mm-hmm. And that came up for me this week. I, I was in a session and two particular individuals who I had really gotten along with at a previous occasion were kind of pushing the boundaries in the session. And, and really it's my job as a, as a trainer and a coach to you know, pull people back if, or point out disrespectful behavior. That's part of what a, a good coach or trainer does. And I found myself not wanting to do this because I was afraid that they would dislike me. Yeah. And it is. And I thought, you know, they liked me before we got well. And now if I do this, if I basically um, mention what I'm seeing in their behavior, they will, no one likes to, I guess, hear something like that right away. They will probably be uncomfortable and they'll probably dislike me. And that created a lot of fear in me. And what I ended up doing, and this is the ethical part, I chose to let them behave that way. And it ended up psychologically impacting other people in the room. I'm curious in what way, what did you see? What did you perceive? Well, other other individuals in the session just basically stopped speaking. They stopped contributing mm-hmm. because these other individuals uh, were very dominating and abrasive in their approach and were whispering when they were talking. And those are really the points where as a, a trainer and a coach, 
I could have done better at saying, you know, let's let this person finish their thought. And, but I chose not to, because I, I, I knew it would probably create some dislike and I was afraid of that. And it, it really troubled me. It's like, how deep does this run? <laughs> I know. You know, not, you know, I did reflect it late on it later and I recognized it. And, but it's like oh, that fear of being disliked. And, and I, I felt like a kid again. Yeah. Okay. Okay. So there's a couple of things that it's such a, a beautiful example. Thank you so much for sharing it. And um, I just want to draw to your attention how amazing it is that you were able to slow it down in real time and catch the awareness in that moment. Because so often of what I, I teach people is like, let's, let's bring that awareness in so that we can operate it operate the people pleasing like a dial because sometimes we do just need to do that to be safe, to keep doing what we're doing, to keep teaching, to keep, to stay in the room, you know, and, and that we shouldn't be hard on ourselves for when we choose that, because if this is so primal, it runs so deep. And if it doesn't feel safe in the body, how can we expect ourselves to make a different choice? Mm, That's right. And that ties into some of our discussion last episode about recognizing what's happening in the body and in the mind. So I'm super curious. I don't want to put you on the spot, but um, when you are in that moment and you are considering your options, do you remember how you felt in your body? That's a great question. I don't know if this is, it's probably not answering the question well, but I felt small. Oh, yes. I felt like a child again. A kid. That's the other thing that I wanted to touch on. And so, okay, this is what I've been talking a lot about in my Instagram and in my Facebook is the inner child healing because it's the inner child in us that needs that reassurance that it's going to be okay. And it's the little us that comes out in these situations because it's those unhealed beliefs that we created when we were small living through us now as adults. Mm. And so when I say, how did you feel? He said, I feel small. I felt like it was like a child. Like that's, that's an incredible connection to make because so if you were to, Mm. you know, at some point down the road, just sit quietly and, and, and visualize. Okay. So here's a question for you. Um, When you say, well, I felt like a child again, what age comes immediately to mind? (laughs) Probably around being 10, like I described, looking at the people at my party. (laughs) Yeah. Okay. So yeah. And that memory is so great too. So this would be, um, you know, take it or leave it. But what you could do is just to find some quiet time and remember that memory, remember those feelings and see your 10 year old self and then come in as the adult you are today and talk to that child and tell her exactly what she needed to hear at that time, what nobody told her, tell her what she needs to know, what she, um, that you're there for her, that you, she can tell you anything and help her see new perspectives in that situation to help her start to heal those beliefs that she created. I mean, that memory that you described is an important memory for you. It's a core memory where you started to really solidify these beliefs that these are questions you have to ask yourself. Yeah, that that's really powerful. 
You know, and I, I don't even think about that, you know, I mean, I do consider and reflect on the origins and where it came from, but I don't ever realize, I guess you're helping me to recognize that that's in a way, I guess, unhealed, unresolved, distressing feelings yeah. Yeah. <laughs> that I haven't healed or paid attention to and that are still yeah. coming up for me in the, in the broader sense of people pleasing. Mm-hmm but also in certain actions and behaviors. And, you know, I also think too, like a certain personality triggers it. Yes. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. And so these individuals and, and again, afterwards, it's like, I wanted to get angry at them. Right. And I was like blaming them. They're dominant. They're aggressive. And I was giving all these labels and I'm like, (laughs) they're a different, definitely a different type of communicator. And it's one that I have struggled with. Mm. And that frightened me. And, and, you know, I look back at the party and who do you think was at the party? Very energetic, vocal yes. people, none of which I'm friends with now. <laughs> Isn't that interesting? Yeah. How that situation at work recently was a trigger for something that needed to be healed from when you were young, because those emotions will live in us. You're right. Our bodies <laughs> will hold those emotions. I'll give you an example. Um, my last corporate job, I had a lot of trapped emotion stuck inside me and only just came out this year when it was so much dread and so much hopelessness and helplessness. And, um, I would wake up feeling this every day for no reason until I finally started to put the pieces together and and got a good therapist. (laughs) But, um, you know, once I was able to recognize what was going on and what my body was processing, because my body finally got into a place where it was safe enough to release it. And so it started to all come up. And as I was able to bring awareness to it, sit with it, feel it, get the information from it, it went away. Mm -hmm. And I don't have as many flashbacks. I don't have as many dreams. I'm not, it's, it's not holding me back as much as it used to. And just sharing that because when we suppress feelings, they, they stay suppressed there. we depress them. We push them down. They stay there until we are able to bring awareness, acknowledge them, validate them. And then they're free. And if you think about being a child, how many times you felt helpless or confused, or you just didn't have the support you needed to experience an emotion and how those emotions just got pushed down until there's a safe place for it to come up. And that's why we're triggered. All the things that were triggered are opportunities to work on what is ready to come up and be healed. Oh my gosh. Yeah, that's really powerful. I feel like there's a lot of listeners who, who could benefit from, from this perspective and that, and that wisdom. And I think that's where I want to start definitely with that memory Mm -hmm. Um, because that's exactly, yeah, I didn't realize it until we had this discussion, but that's exactly who I felt like the 10 year old in the family room doorway, watching them (laughs) just convinced I wasn't good enough or they didn't like me. And yeah, it's not true. I mean, I'm sure that there's so many things that if you were let's, let's say you could go back and you could be there with your 10 year old self. There's so many things that you've learned now that you could say to her and it would be exactly what she needs to hear to understand the different perspectives. Yeah. So true. So true. 
Okay, I have to share a funny story with you about yes. that because I, I would repeatedly have this memory come up for me, especially when I would meet new people um, because there's this fear of not being liked. And so this friend that I had in elementary school that was like really a bully to me in many ways, um, we would go to sleepovers and there would be like four or five girls and she would always pick on me and um, make me the outcast. And he, she would always call me party pooper number one. Oh my God. <laughs> and so recently, as I was like, we're making new friends in the neighborhood. So we're, we're going to go over to our neighbor's house. And I already kind of feel like I don't fit in because I don't drink very much anymore. And what kept going through my mind is party pooper number one. <laughs> clearly ready to be healed <laughs> oh my gosh <laughs> oh god oh you know these labels you know and, and impressions and kids are mean <laughs> yes exactly exactly oh my gosh Literally. I would always go home I would always call my parents from sleepovers and ask them to pick me up and everyone was like oh you get homesick I'm like no nobody's nice to me <laughs> I'm homesick yeah I just said nobody's nice <laughs> and you know maybe that's why we ended up molding ourselves so much for, yeah for other it's, it's so uncomfortable right you just you just start to want to blend in and not be pointed out as party pooper number one <laughs> yeah exactly and and as we said we take the blame too like uh, yeah the blame comes this like ownership like right like well yeah. we better do better we better mold ourselves, like because yeah. clearly it's our fault like yeah. you know yeah exactly and so as the adult version of ourselves now we can go back to that inner child that 10 year old us and say there was nothing wrong with you and you know what, you, you, you didn't want to go to those sleepovers and you didn't have to, and you don't have to ever again. Yeah. And then here's the other thing that I was doing. Um, and this might sound super like cheesy, but before we were going to, um, going to the party or, or like whatever it is with new people, I would always just put my hand on my heart and say, it's all right. If they don't accept you, I accept you. It's all right. If they don't accept you, I accept you. And I don't know why, but that made a difference for me. Wow. That's really powerful. Yeah. I think I almost need to uh, kind of develop a similar, I guess, a mantra really. Um, it's that self-talk again, right? Yeah. It's yeah. self-talk. It's the yeah. self-passion. It's yeah. acting as your own support. Yeah. Yeah. It's, it, it really does make a difference. I, I, I think I said to you like a little bit has gone a long way for me and um. I also just, I I'll often tell myself to like, I'm, I'm safe. I'm safe to be here. I'm safe to be seen. I'm safe to connect. And, you know, um, I've had sort of a sorted history with affirmations where for a long time I tried them and they never worked. And I, I dissociated from them for a long time, but I find that doing the the deep work too, alongside with affirmations. And also I've noticed doing affirmations. This is something I've learned from Elizabeth Dialto is that saying them while moving my body has made a big difference. So like awesome. while I'm stretching or doing my mobility exercises, I'll say, I'm, I'm safe to be me. It's safe to be here, it's safe to be seen. It's safe to connect. And 
it kind of gets wired in differently. And I think that has something to do with, um, if anybody's, have you experienced EMDR? No. Okay. So my somatic coach was doing this where she would put, um, these things that would vibrate one under each leg and it would vibrate back and forth in, um, not at the same time. So it'd be like one leg buzz and the next leg would buzz. And she would have me pick like the speed and the, and how quickly it buzzes. And so when we were talking about, okay, well, okay. We talk about, you know, what I'm working on spiders initially, (laughs) which by the way, has been really good. Like spiders are feeling much more neutral to me. We can talk about that another time, but anyways, um, so we would be working through it and then she would say, okay, now how would you like to think about it or how, what would be a different way to think about it? And then she would do those buzzing (laughs) and it would, it would get like wired in. And I think that doing the affirmations while moving my body is getting it to sink in maybe the same way EMDR works. I don't know. I don't know the science behind it, but Hmm. it's been helping. (laughs) that's yeah I I haven't tried any of that like I feel like I'm really good at analysis and reflection and you know like building maybe that's just where my strength is like thinking about mantras but I don't do and I think I've said this before I don't do a lot of work with the body Uh, Mm -hmm. but I realize more and more through our talks like how integral it is right and the the connection and I, I feel like you're really um ahead or almost advanced, you know, I'm, I'm so, I think I could learn a lot about that practice from you. Yeah. I've been, um, going deep into that because it's been making a a difference for me. It's kind of rounding out like how, okay. I understand that integration is really important when we're updating our beliefs. And this was kind of the next step in the journey after hypnotherapy is the understanding that sometimes the mindset isn't enough. Like sometimes the changing the subconscious belief just isn't enough. It needs to integrate with the body. And, and then when I say integrate with the body, what I'm meaning is allowing the emotions that are there um, to be acknowledged, to be validated and to be released and like to extract the information that we need from it so that it can go, it can stop being a teacher. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. That's really wise. I can definitely say that since the first episode, I feel like I've come so far. Oh, um, great. Now I already felt like, again, you've done so much inner work and, and I think more than me, but I am curious, like what has changed for you or is, have you gained even more insights into this, even though you had already been doing the work in this area for a long time before we started this? Yeah, it's kind of like it's reaffirming for me to be able to speak it out loud and to hear it and then to hear you validate my stories has been really helpful. And and that's something that I I keep coming across is how important it is for our healing journey to be witnessed, like to have somebody reflect back to you or to be a mirror or to say, I see you going through this. Um, There's something really healing about that. And so I, I feel like it's for me, um, I was kind of doing it in isolation just with my own learnings. I, you know, I, I have had some therapy and I continue to have therapy, but that's only once or twice a month. Mm-hmm. Um, so, to, and, and that's usually like working on something new each time. So to be able to have this space to just yeah. reflect and validate like what, what's working, um, it's, 
it's been really helpful and it's been really fun. <laughs> I know I, I've loved it too. And it's like, I've noticed difference in my cognitive thinking and mm. my insights. And like, that was an unexpected bonus. Cause I think, and you've said it before, it's like journaling really. Yeah. You know, when you get a chance to, to work these things out and talk them out and hopefully listeners get to reflect on it and it's, it's like the benefits of journaling. You learn yeah. so much and you, yeah. and these are things that I knew I was doing, but I never had that awareness. Like I caught myself in that session and I, I wouldn't yeah. have as before. So yeah, that's yeah. so good. And yeah. for me, like um, when I was visiting my in-laws recently, like a week or a week ago, um, I had so much more peace around it because I could see them being cold with me in some ways and standoffish in some ways. And rather than feeling like resentful for that, because it would, I would go into this thought loop of, well, you're making me be this way, <laughs> you know? Yeah. Yeah. And now you're just making it harder. And I've, I was able to let that go in this last visit and to be more just like um, having some more compassion and being like, you know, let's give them some time to adjust to what's to what's now very different and I'm showing up very different and to, and to not, and I was able to have a lot more space in the trigger because, you know, for example, we would say that we have to go check into the hotel and then I would catch the look on somebody's face and, um, you know, seeing that they're upset about it. And instead of being triggered by that and being triggered to resentment, I was more, I was able to pause, have space and, and understand it's okay for them to feel that way. And it's still okay for me to make that choice. Mm -hmm. Exactly. Exactly. And that was new for me. Usually, I, like I, I've been having a really hard time with the triggers. Like I'm just constantly triggered by um, their discomfort with me and my choices. And so that was really nice to have some space there to be okay with it. <laughs>